of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 551. That is 551. Jason Lingren is with me, and we are honored to have KL back, a man who has more important information in his head than probably anyone else I know. Sometimes I get affidavits from him and I start reading and my jaw just freaking drops. How did you figure all this out? When I am dealing with bureaucracy, here, I'll put it this way. One of my worst nightmares for me personally is when I have to deal with something like an insurance company, bureaucracy and corporation and all the documentation and not, that is the biggest nightmare in my mind personally that I can go through. And yet, What we're seeing that individuals like KL, and there are damn few of them, have basically taken it apart and figured it out, and not only figured it out, but have created a viable, repeatable method to deal with it if you choose to do so. And I'll say it again, uh, everything we're going to do here is true. You can validate it. You can prove it to yourself. But what you choose to do in your lifetime, I have come to accept, is not going to be the right thing for everybody. The way that I view what we've done legally is basically three methods. This is the most changing. This method of everything that I have covered will change your life the most. So as an individual, how do you want to live? Do you want to live how you always have and just learn how to defend yourself? If you're interested in the three legal methods, Jason and I can cover it. You can email Rose. I can break it out. But basically what it comes down to is you can use the system and the courts as someone like Alphonse would, and you will probably succeed, but you are within the system and you will remain. You can completely leave the system and demand that what God gave you is yours and do whatever the hell you feel like. And that is the least workable of the three. But I know people who did it or are trying to do it. And then there's this system. There are some in between. Anyhow, with all those words, welcome back, KL. Honored to have you back. Well, again, thanks for having me. I always enjoy being on the show with you. And I think, are we at about like our third year anniversary, roughly, time frame? From the first time you came on, you mean? Yes. I'll tell you exactly. I'll do a search right now. I have your first episode as... 256 was posted on October 1, 2020. Fun and games had been uh, underway. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do here. KL has provided a concise bullet list, and we're just going to take them verbatim. But before we get going, I think a lot of people are, and I'll, I'll preface, I thought I had a pretty good handle on what I call the flu. Well, a week, this is the first time I've recorded in a week. I got so sick. And I don't even know why or how or what it required my wife to go to the hospital, which is nerve wracking to say the least, but I'm on the mend. But others are also aware that KL has had some health issues. So do you want to update folks on that? Yes, I did. Uh, Only because I had done another podcast or so and I kind of I let the information out and you guys were privy to my health status, why this is going on. And this is kind of why I haven't been on your show for quite a number of months. but. I had cancer about 12 years ago in my neck uh, that was surgically treated with no problems. Everything was fine, followed, and then all of a sudden it came back late last year, but it had spread to my lymph nodes. So it was much worse of a situation and the tumors uh, were larger than before. So I had to do a lot of 
treatment, did a lot of alternative treatment. Uh, Crow got me in hold of Fortune over in Europe, and he helped me out a lot. And over the next, you know, four to six months, uh, everything got a lot better. And I've had a couple of PET scans, a couple of CAT scans, and there's no signs of tumor anymore in my neck or my throat. But I did run into problems in terms of they found I had uh, 99% blockage in my right coronary artery where uh, I had that stented. And again, that unbelievable difference between night and day, once the stent was put in, all of a sudden I felt 300% better in terms of energy and appetite and a whole lot of other stuff. So right now, everything is looking on the positive. Just wanted to tell everybody, thanks for the prayers. I appreciate, all, again, all the thoughts and prayers everybody did who knew what, was I, what I was going through. So I'm ready to delve back in and uh, talk about some stuff. I prepared some stuff today. It's kind of a you know potpourri about some here and there stuff that I think is just uh, some important parts to to hit on over the last couple of years that either I've done or I've heard uh, people on Crow show uh, others. Now, Crow talk about one of the first things just a little bit ago about Alphonse and you know he stays within uh, the U.S. system and their court system. And uh, I'm not here to say that's wrong or that's bad. I'm just saying that's. That's exactly one way to fight it. You, you have to decide whether you want to fight it within their system, within their territorial jurisdiction, or you can fight it what I call a different way like I use where I challenge jurisdiction, where, where I would say to the court, you know, I'm not here to argue the case, Your Honor. I'm here to argue whether you have jurisdiction over me or not. And you prepare a brief you know, ahead of time and you cite U.S. Supreme Court cases of the states. Once you challenge impersonum jurisdiction, that they have to prove it. The moving party has to prove jurisdiction. So the court or the prosecutor, you give them a 30-day show cause order. And if they can't prove it, then you put an order in that says the case has to be dismissed. So I try not to get to where you're even saying one word about the case or pleading about the case. And again, my way is just different. It's different because I come from the angle that I'm a private citizen and not from the U.S. citizen side. You can win from either side. I've done the side, you know, where Alphonse and Dr. Graves have been. I did that for 10 years. And for me, it was just a more of a controversial, arguing, emotional, more of a long drawn out, multiple hearings. And again, not that you can't win that way. I just wanted to do a different way. And then when I found out about the political status change, and that's how I would change my approach to court. My success rate, you know, went up exponentially, of course, when I went and did it the other way. But it's not for everybody because you have to have the knowledge, whether you do it my way, you have to have the knowledge, or whether you do it Alphonse and Dr. Graves' way, you have to have the knowledge. So I don't think this is a game for beginners. There is always studying like anything else that you're going to do when you prepare to go to court. But, uh, you know, my issue is you've got to try to understand what's going on in court in order for you to have a better chance of uh, winning or uh, beating them or, you know, a win could be if you plead guilty to a seatbelt violation for $10, I still consider that a win. I don't consider that a loss just because you got a conviction on a non-moving violation. So you can always negotiate with the uh, prosecutors. There's, you know, there's multitudes of ways to what I will call to win or to help your situation out. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I just want to make a quick point, if you don't mind. One of the biggest problems Jason and I found as we got very interested in legal ideas was the infighting. It's, it was to the point where we almost walked away from covering it. That's how bad it got. Our inboxes would fill up with hate, you know, poison pen letters. And let me tell you something. One of the things I admire about Kale, I've never heard him badmouth some other person's method. 
And what I can tell you for a fact is if we have covered a thing and then recovered it, it's because someone made it work. And not only did they make it work, they've demonstrated how you could apply what they have applied. In other words, it's not a pipe dream. We vet it to that point. And what I'm here to try to ask of everybody who has an interest is we all need to work together now. The jig is freaking up in this world. And the main tool that is being used is division. Right now, we need to hit hate on Palestinians, or we need to hate on Israelis, or we need to hate on as long as that goes on, we will in fact be divided. And within the legal communities, this was instilled through YouTube to get people to badmouth each other. And I was sitting here watching this person badmouth and that person, and they both had workable methods. They were very different. They meant very different things, but in the scope of a human life, it worked. So my point here is we need to get beyond this judgy, infighting nonsense and respect one another. This is a big deal. And let me tell you something, the die is cast. We are doing this. And there's a very good chance that what's coming is really going to be surfacing by the time 2025 comes. But anyhow, I'm sorry for that big mouthful of words, but I think people really need to grow the hell up and get that every word we expend fighting with one another is fueling the opposition that we do not want or appreciate. Right. One of my teaching points into being a private citizen is that you have to become a responsible adult if you want to govern yourself. And part of that is respecting other people's rights and opinions, because that's all it really is. And, you know, I've always said, I think we went over this even from the very start three years ago, that there's more than one way to skin a cat. I I used to be able to do it, you know, the other side way. I just do it a different way because I have different knowledge and I have a different approach to it now. I could still go back into there and do it that way if I had a strong case. Like if I had certain statutes that I knew they broke, I might even go that route. So it's a it's a strategy to pick and choose what's going to work best for me, for that individual person at that time. I had even one of my students lately who had a... Uh, a landlord dispute and she had such a strong case i told her to go in the on the at law side and go in there that they had violated you know certain statutes in the, in the state code that held them liable so that's what we did it wasn't like again that i say oh you got to do it this way every time sometimes i want i use the other side dependent on the strategy and the strength of the case so i'm 100 percent in agreement with you that uh, all of us need to be non, a lot less judgmental than what the t television is trying to teach us. Because you know that all they're doing now is presenting something what they want you to react emotionally. They want you to judge either the person or the story from a certain angle. So that's what they're doing. They're exactly trying to tribalize us into tri certain tribes, you know, pro, con, this or that. Uh, and yes, it's a it's a strategy, psychological strategy to divide us so they can conquer us. Let me just point out one quick tactic that emerged quite quickly, and this is the dispute in the Middle East. Basically, what they did is they presented a scenario on TV. Then they said the people that we just showed you doing these horrible things came from this area which means that you all need to hate on everybody who lives in this area and we're going to go pummel this area. 
If you're not adult enough to first question, was what I was shown even true? Because how can you trust anything that you're shown in the age of AI? Crow's law of HD, it's basically out the window. Video is evidence of nothing anymore unless you know everything you need to know about the video and its source. Anything can be created now and slapped into an image or video. But what I saw was my local news all of a sudden start backing anyone who's not 100% behind this side or that side is a complete piece of dog crap. And on and on it goes. And these are prime examples. And if you can't recognize that tactic, we're not going to fare well, or you may not fare well. We need to help each other. If someone you know that you don't even particularly like is hurt or sick or needs help, and you can't recognize what that means, then the humanity is kind of getting removed from that perception. I saw a critique of some of the videos that the national news has been using of the bombings, and some of them are actually implosions of, well, you know, they're demolishing buildings in other countries. And one was a bomb that went off at the building, but it was from a different country. And three, three years ago, that was already on the news. I, I took it as, you, just like you said, you can't believe anything you're seeing on TV. No. The truth. AI has reached a point where video, Crow's Law of HD is out the window with one exception. If you know everything you need to know to accept source authenticity, then video or images can be evidence of something. If you do not know everything about who shot it, when it was shot, how it was shot, it's no longer evidence. What it is, is a question mark. And that's just where we are, folks. Yes. Just where we are. Jason sent me an image the other day of a normal street that was then turned into a riot with three mouse clicks, cars burning, and it was all AI. So anyhow, let's get back on track here. Let's jump in and uh, start to alliterate the differences between what it means to be a, an EU or European Union citizen versus a US citizen. I always try to bring up analogies in, in my talks so make it somewhat a little bit easier to understand. And let's I think when you look at the EU from our perspective, you go, well, you know, there was these countries over there. There was Britain, France, Germany, Spain. They all had their own citizenship, right? If you were lived there, born in France, you were a French citizen. If you were born in English, you were, I would say, not a UK, but an English uh, citizenship, German citizenship. Then they, they formed this union of the countries called the European Union. And then they had the term European citizen, where you could get a pass and travel freely, like you, because before there were checkpoints and you know, like border patrols, but now you could travel freely on the, the trains, and people that were born in French could go down in Italy and work without any problems, right? They created that citizenship, that piece of paper citizenship that was different from their birth citizenship so everyone could do commerce more easily you would agree on that kind of level right sure sure so that's actually what was done in our country you know back in 1868 everyone had union state citizenship which in your state is actually a country if you go back and read the history every state is their own country and then up till 1868 the 14th amendment 
citizen of the United States was created. Now, where did that citizenship come from? That's one of the big points I want to hit today. Okay. Yep. If you read their writings, which I have here and I have done, it was created out of the Article 4, Section 2 citizenship, the Union State citizenship. Okay. So it's it's not exactly the same thing. You have the Union one that was created with the Constitution. So they didn't just make this up out of thin air. They actually had to use the Constitution, go back and take that citizenship that you had already had, brought, they called, the, the terms they used was broaden and enlarged it. But at the same time of broadening and enlarging it, they made it superior to the Union State citizen. So now you have two citizenships in America, just like you have two citizenships that you could use over in Europe. And over in Europe, you can use your French citizenship to get certain benefits in France, but you can use your European citizenship to travel and work. Again, you can, what, what people do now is they're not limited by their own country where they can work or travel or do anything, okay? Kale, how would I verbalize that from the American standpoint? Could I use the language, I have an American citizenship as a possibility, and I have United States citizenship? Would that cover it, or how would you, how would you better define it? Right. But that's exactly what I use as the words. Now, the key is, which one are you declaring you want to use at the time? Because you're both. Okay, l- let me go back and let me read. I'll read you the 14th Amendment, Section 1. This was in, uh, I think, in April 1868. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. That covers your broadened and enlarged citizenship and, not or, and of the state wherein they reside. So the 14th is telling you that there's two different kinds of citizenships, okay? Now, the famous case where the judge and the transcripts actually say that is the Austin Gary Cooper case, 1996, where Mr. Cooper is being sued for not filing an income tax return. And in the, in the, uh, the court, he says, Your Honor, I want a judicial determination. Am I American a citizen or am I a citizen of the United States? And the judge says, You're both. So you have two. It's what you declare out of your mouth that makes all the difference in the world what jurisdiction you're in. Well, then wouldn't it be better to do the explanation to say, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't it be more precise and informative to say you have access to both? Yes. Or would it be better to say you are both and need to declare no. which one you'll be using? If you have access because both of them are a trust agreement, which means you're the beneficiary of both. And beneficiary always means having access to the benefits that are in that trust. So that would be the proper term would be access to it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Now, later in that case, the Department of Justice prosecutor, Linda Kozlowski, in her closing argument said the ownership is based strictly on contract and that you have to sign up for benefits of a trust, right? Like Social Security, when you apply for benefits, you're actually saying, I'm declaring that U.S. citizenship because I want those benefits, okay? You're not asking as a union state citizen, you're asking 
if I join this club, I join this trust and apply, I'll get this later. And that's that's what puts you in their jurisdiction. Just like if you get the EU pass, the traveling pass, you're saying, okay, I'm now under that jurisdiction because I wanted those benefits where I could go work in uh, Italy now instead of not just working in France. Is there an alternative in the case you just cited? Could someone not take the EU pass and still travel? Sure, absolutely. Okay. You could do that anyways. Right. Important point, decisions. Right. It's, but it's always about free will and free choice. Yeah. This whole world, and again, let's go back to the creator. God gave us free will and free choice. We get to choose our path in life and our choices. And it is no different from the types of government that they offer you today. It's a choice. You might not think it's a choice, but in reality, it really is a choice. Okay. It's just up to you to decide which way you want to go. All right. Got it. Have you wrapped that up? Do you want to keep rolling through? Yeah, I wrapped it up. But just so, so you get the idea that it isn't just us. People around the world have these two different types of citizens. In England, you can be in Wales, right? Scotland, England, or you can be a UK citizen. Two different kinds, right? United Kingdom citizens. So EU has got two different ones. We have two different ones here. See, so a lot of places you get a choice, which is tremendous because here in, in, uh, in the United States of America, I choose to be a union state citizen. I don't want that. I don't want that U.S. citizen because that comes with a lot of liabilities, penalties, the jurisdiction where you're liable for every statute and code, which is, you know, probably a million by now. That uh, and probably a hundred thousand of ones you don't even know about that you commit every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd like to make an observation and see if you want to agree with it. To be the so-called American or Union citizen, to choose that versus the United States. Notice I didn't say America. The United States. Uh, what I notice is it's almost like you get to choose whether you're an individual that wants to just take care of themselves. You don't want social security. You don't need so-called benefits. Yeah. Now, some people, they they want those benefits and there should be no shame. You get to choose. God gave you free will and all the people listening to this have really no legitimate right to judge what you decide to do as long as you're harming no one. So my point here is to go for the American or union idea is almost like saying, I take care of myself. I don't need any help from these governments and systems and establishments. The other way around is, you know what? When I'm 65, I've worked my whole life. I've paid into the system and I do want those benefits. It's a choice. Yep. And our founding fathers, this has always been my opinion, set this way up on purpose from the get-go. Because there were widows and orphans back then that the collective would take care of. They couldn't take care of themselves. So there was this option out there always this jurisdiction where yes you can have benefits but you know if you take the benefits then there's certain duties and obligations associated with that okay yep if you uh, sign up for social security you're actually saying i will pay income taxes and support that corporate jurisdiction that corporate government i will also uh, fight for that corporate government in foreign wars okay so there's a lot of things that are hidden because there's a trust agreement that you don't see, but make you liable for certain things if you ask for those benefits. And again, you could not ask for the benefit your whole life or 65, and then something happened to you, you get disabled, and then you have every right to go back 
and apply for the benefits if you needed them when you were sick and ill later in life. Okay, it's no different than going down to the voting roll to say, I'm changing my status to a Republican instead of a Democrat. I'm doing it on paper. I'm notifying you of what my intention is. Okay, as long as you do it on paper, put in their system, they'll honor whichever way you want to go. So again, we're back to free choice. How does the crown figure into this, especially with uh, the UK? Great question, because what I notice as among the most brutal things of the modern era is the crown countries have been getting the blunt end of the stick. Australia, um, parts of London and surrounds, and certainly Canada have really been getting things just jammed down their throats. Yes. And they don't seem to have a remedy, do they? No, that's the problem. So many emails. Well, what can I do? And the problem is, is I'm an American and I, I tell folks, you got to find the, you know, the crown KL, the guy who's figured it out over there. Well, I'm going to tell you, although that was the very last thing I was going to talk about today, but the answer is this, in their jurisdiction where you don't have that choice of citizenship, where you can easily get out from under, it goes back to trust law that you have to prove you're the beneficiary of those trusts. And then you get into a special court system and you can you can do it that way. So there is a way. It's more difficult, but it's the same thing in here today in the military occupation, where uh, if you want to have your rights as a private, real man, you have to go to a special court of equity. But in order to get into the court of equity, you have to prove you're the beneficiary of these trusts. All right. That's going to be the last point that we cover in hour two. So all the people who would send an email from European or Crown environs uh, know that it will be covered at the end of hour two. So we've got to keep moving along. So we'll get everything in here. Great question. So recap a trust law. Trusts are either expressed or implied. Expressed means they're written down on a piece of paper. Everybody knows about it. But when you apply for a benefit, they don't have to give you the details of the contract. They assume you know all of the details. And that's why banks and governments uh, love trust agreements. Implied trusts are there is no written contract, but your actions speak for themselves. You know, the two, I'll get into some uh, examples later, I guess. But trust, uh, according to Black's Law, the right and comma, enforceable solely in equity. This is right out of Black's Law. So it's telling you trust disputes are only handled in the law, in equity law. To the beneficial enjoyment of property to which another person holds legal title, a property interest held by one person, the trustee, at the request of another, the beneficiary. And then, of course, the example I try to always use is that you're the money that's in your pocket. It really isn't yours, even though you think it's yours. You have possession of the, the dollar bill or the hundred dollar bill or whatever it is. You can use it for your benefit. But you... It's not yours in reality. It's legally the Federal Reserve because they created it. And how can I tell that it's the trust? Because they control the purchasing power. And further, they separated it from value, right? Yes. Completely. 1972, the final separation? Yep. 71. 71 under Nixon, I believe, right? August 9th, I think, 1971. Everyone listening could do themselves a big favor by understanding how money is created. A dollar bill in your pocket 
is nothing more than an instrument of debt. People like to call it IOUs. They like to call it a lot of different things. But the truth is about money that we are living on a debt system. It is all based on debt. And what it means is when the music stops, someone will always lose because it is impossible to ever remove all the debt. If that if the debt was ever zeroed out, there would be no money in this form of whatever you want to call what we're doing here, just to make the point. And because it's a debt note and not real money, legal title is not exchanged between the parties who purchase it. So when you purchase a car with a debt note, the legal title is put in a trust for your benefit. You get use of the car, but it goes to the state state has the legal interest, controlling interest that says you have to have insurance, registration, and you have to have plates. So that's legally why, one, they can stop the car when you're driving it. This is their car. And two, if you don't put plates on it, you try to run around with these stupid private plates or don't get it registered, they can confiscate it because it's their car legally. It's not yours. Or house or anything because you've used a debt note. There is no considerable value. There's no value in that paper or the number that represents the dollar bill that be, can, can be considered as having any value because debt is not value. Because right, no true value, only with real money. So this is again why Pro and I and Jason, I'm sure it's, it's all about being the real man, having real money, we got to get back to that system. We got to get to before pre-1933 and the world would change for the better tremendously. It can't be controlled. It can't be tracked. Yep. Where we're about to go, if it's allowed to happen, uh, will be the, look, there's two ways to slave out people. You can imprison them and then the people who have made them prisoners have one responsibility to keep them alive. Or you can do what they did. They can use debt to enslave you. And the thing about being enslaved by debt is then it's the prisoner's responsibility to keep themselves alive. It is the most heinous form of slavery that has ever been conjured out of black minds somewhere in this world. And that's where we're currently at. And we are headed or they, they want us to be quickly headed to completely digital. I mean, not even a physical vestige of the debt anymore and everything will be clocked. In other yeah. words, if we go to this system of digital fed, whatever the hell you want to call it, what will happen is you will take whatever the credit is called on your phone or something else. You will buy a thing. The purchase of what you bought and the amount of credit it took to do it will be registered by the federal reserve. And then they will pay the note, the debt note out to whoever you bought it from every single thing will be tracked. The days of showing up on a street corner to secretly buy a joint or anything like that, that's done if we go to this system. Yes. Now, for those of you who don't believe that there's these trusts going on, which it seems like there seems to be a few people out there, I'm going to read you right from the congressional record, June 13th, 1967, page 1564 through 15646. Uh, a citizen of the United States is a civilly dead entity operating as a co-trustee and co-beneficiary of the private constructive Sestake Trust of the United States Inc. under the 14th Amendment, which upholds the debt of the USA and the U.S. Inc. Section 4. It is evident that the U.S. citizens have not the political rights which are vested in citizens of the states. Bang, bang, bang. 
They are not vested in any sovereign power of the government. This is about that U.S. citizenship, the EU citizenship part. They are subject to the laws of the United States, but have no voice in its management. If they are allowed to make laws, the validity of those laws is derived from the sanction of government in which they are not representative. <laughs> in other words, are you telling me that a United States citizen has no influence or input or the ability to question their government? In other words, they don't even vote, do they? This was written in 1967. Mere citizenship they may have, but the political rights of citizens they cannot enjoy. It says it right in front of your face. Let me ask everybody listening a simple question. Every four years, every media branch in this world will focus on the United States election. And KL just proved from the highest documents you can draw from that a United States citizen does not pick who the government is. They do not vote. They do not choose. They cannot hold responsible. They have no, basically no influence. When these so-called citizens make a law, it is by the grace of the government of whether it's allowed to happen or whether it will stand. Every four years in this country, when you go out to vote, what is being done is you are being polled. That is it. That's why they call it polling places. So we need to get this crystal clear so that the red-blue mind virus will hopefully begin to leave people. The red-blue mind virus is the most effective division task to divide and conquer that has ever been implemented on our shores. And what it means is you have chose a side on a piece of, on an idea that is proven to have absolutely no input at any level about the thing you think you're participating in. Would you change any of that? No, I think that's great. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, the, what I call the name game. Since your name is a trust, it's an implied trust. It's not really written down per se. The proof of the trust are the birth certificates that the, your name is in a trust. But because it's in a trust and because everything you do on, almost on a daily basis has got some kind of piece of paper with your name on it, right? Yes. So they're always asking you to sign these pieces of paper. So what really matters is how you sign. And you're, again, your name is in a trust. So there's three main parties. There's at least five or six parties in a trust, but there's three main ones, the, the creator, the trustee, and the beneficiary. Well, which one are you representing when you sign the paper that day? Are you coming forth as the signing as the grantor? Are you signing as the trustee? Are you signing as the beneficiary? Now, if you don't specify by writing, well, once you sign your name, comma, grantor, comma, beneficiary, it is presumed, and of course, you're under presumption of law in their jurisdiction, you're the trustee. And the trustee is the responsible party for the trust, which means you're the payee, which means you're the guy that's got to pay. You're the one taking on the liability. Okay. So you can put your, uh, sign your name, or some of these people teach you to put by hyphen, colon, three names, and that'll do it. I'm telling you, it won't. It is presumed you're the trustee until you state otherwise, okay, period. So if you sign your name and you want to put either comma beneficiary, comma agent record, comma trustee, I mean, you could sign things as trustee if you wanted, but unless you are what we call restricting your signature, legally, it will be treated as if you are the trustee and you are signing 
as the surety trustee, which meant you're taking on the debt or obligation of the all caps name that is on the piece of paper. Okay. So the most important thing you do is can learn how to sign your name properly. Is there anything else to know? Would you print? Would you handwrite? Would you write your full first, middle, and last? Would you do it with lowercase, all in uppercase? How would you sign before comma beneficiary? Well, the name itself is who you're signing for. So the two choices I use, you can print your all caps name, all three names, comma, agent of record. And I'll explain this in a second. But I don't write out the whole name because it's too lengthy. I abbreviate it as my three initials. So let's say John Henry Doe would be J-H-D, printed in all caps, comma, and then I cursively write the word agent of record, okay? An agent of record is the beneficiary signing on behalf of the trust, but he's not the trustee, okay? So you're allowed to sign for the trust, but not take on the liability of the trust. You're just signing because the trustee is not there today. Why don't you just write beneficiary? It's a shorter you word. You do beneficiary. It would be the same thing. Why do you choose the longer agent of record? Because in my trust, I've written in the trust indenture, which is the law of the trust, that the beneficiary can act on behalf of the trustee if he's the agent of record. And his, that title, when he does stuff like that, would be called agent of record. Okay. So what if you take your three initials and choose to sign in the way you did? So three letters, capped, comma, beneficiary. And someone says, you have to sign in cursive. And I would say, well, excuse me, are you an attorney? Because it sounds like you're trying to <laughs> good advice. Right. There's the idea that you can even put an, you know, when someone makes you sign like a cop, you could simply write an X and that yes. would be your mark. A swoosh, a Nike swoosh. There you go. That's probably how they did it, right? That's legal. Anything, any mark is your signature. Like, no one can tell you how you have to sign your name, period important point because it comes up all right so we're going to get into the next were you done with the name game uh well how are we for time so we've got just a few minutes in the end of hour one so if you want to do a little more on the name game yes, yeah, um, we can close out hour one five minutes i want to do a little more okay and this is again this is very important to study the trust that the parties in the trust all have different powers authority so the grantor Creator, first of all, the creator creates the trust, but the grantor also, he has the power to convey property or titles in the trust, okay? And he can appoint trustees. He has a certain power that he can do. The trustee has the power to manage the trust, but that's all he can do. He can't do anything else. The beneficiary has the power to make a claim on a trust. The grantee is the person in the trust that receives the titles of the asset. So everybody has different titles and different titles have different authority. So again, when people are out there writing their stuff and they say, I hereby reconvey blah, 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 rights, title, and interest to whatever. Well, who is I? Because they never distinguish themselves as the grantor. I, again, the default level is the trustee. The trustee does not have the power to reconvey anything. So even if they did the writing right, they got it wrong because they never delineated who they are, who was writing the paper, right? So 
Same thing about making a claim on trust. Everybody thinks they can run out there and try to get to their Cessnicate trust by saying, I, John Doe, the man, demand this. Well, who's John Doe? Again, you're not specifying who you are in the trust. Everyone would agree Cessnicate trust is in a trust. So the only possible person that can make a claim on that trust is the beneficiary. If you don't identify yourself as a beneficiary, heir, you can't have access, you can't make that claim, right? You know, there were, when Prince the artist died, okay, he had like $300 million in the, in the bank. And 287 people came forward in court stating they had a claim to that money. Okay. So one of the first things the lawyers do, well, how can you prove you're who you are, that you have a claim? And, and almost all of them never even used, I'm the beneficiary or I'm a born son. They had no evidence or their claim was all wrong, which was easily dismissed over the next three to five years. And I think they got almost all of them dismissed strictly based on this simple logic and then not one of them knew how to make a claim correctly on, on, on his trust, on his estate. An estate is a trust. Okay. Do you know what, do you know who the people are? You know, like, was it sons and daughters or who, how was it no, done correctly? It was, it was, you know, people that never knew him or people that weren't related to him. Uh, second cousins, uh, some of them were blood relatives. Uh, but I mean, it was just crazy in terms of how many people came in and said, I deserve some of that money. He had no will. No will, right. So, and they, well, the whole thing was they couldn't find his will. Oh, oh. that was the problem. Someone shuffled it, I'll bet you. Oh, that's exactly what I think. I think some possible law firm yep. misplaced it. So, because if they misplaced it, then they could spend the next 10 years of their life defending these claims. Whereas the will would have done away with them with, you know, really quickly. Cha-ching and purple. Right. And don't tell me Prince was a dummy. That guy was smart because once he found out that Sony copyrighted his name and he couldn't even use his own name after he walked away from their contract. Remember that? Yeah. It's because they said you cannot use your own name. It's our property and we're not going to allow you to do it. And he was smart because the symbol was unpronounceable. So that, to me, proves that his tactic ensured that he was trying to vex the vultures that had basically stolen his name. Exactly. So he was not dumb. He was very smart. What, what did Prince write on his face? Does everyone remember? You think this man doesn't recognize what we're talking here today? He wrote the word slave on the side of his face. And what was that slavery based on? Two things. Debt. And a name. Yes. And contracts. Yes. There's your debt. <laughs> and he, he never made that same mistake twice. He's a very smart man from what I know people that knew him. Extremely smart man. Well, like so many of these artists, he probably got into it when he was very young. Yes. Yeah, he took the first deal that came along because that's nothing else was there. I get it. I would love to know how much he was aware of when he pre-echoed his death, when the band uh, America and I think Ventura Highway first uttered the words Purple Rain some 42, 47 years before anyone ever heard of Prince. One of his aliases was Joey or Joe, by the way, when you hear that Ventura song. Uh, the man who wrote the Ventura Highway song was asked, why did you use the words Purple Rain? He informed the world, I cannot tell you. 
he said it like this. Well, I can't tell you. Like, I don't know was the way he was making it sound. But the point is uh, that Prince himself was credited with writing a song uh, that said words like, don't let the elevator, you know, don't let the elevator let you down, go crazy. And, you know, the, the whole death in the elevator, there's a number of things, but anyhow, I digress. Okay. I'm, I'm good. All right. So what we're going to do here is we're going to wrap up hour one. We're going to come back in hour two. We're going to get into some important things for all you people in a crown country or EU. KL has stated that he will cover the jurisdictional ideas at the end of hour two. One thing that I think is a good trick that I use, particularly when I'm speaking with people like KL, is I put the the documents into Word because if I right click, I can get to synonyms. As an example, we're going to open up with a bullet point that is titled repudiate. If I was to ask everybody listening right now, do you know what repudiate means? Well, of course you can look it up, but if you do a quick click and get synonyms, it helps to embed the intent of the word. I just did it. So repudiate has synonyms such as reject, disclaim, renounce, deny, rebut. And I think this is very helpful for a mind that has learned to, to think and speak as we have coming through school, trying to catch up to what's on offer here. We've got to change the way we think. And it's not that difficult. It takes a little bit of effort. With that, while I know, Kale, you're not going to give out, do you want to give out any kind of contact? Sure. Give them my, for you, I usually use the KL Freedom 748 at Gmail. Okay, let's do it this way for KL. You can contact us if you want to make contact. And please don't just send emails. KL's in a position, you got to be serious. You can get so many emails that it literally paralyzes you. It happens to me all the time. And um, I'm just saying, if you truly have a good reason or are going to be interested in doing these things, just don't send frivolous emails, please. And I would ask the same of Pro 777 Radio too. Um, there are days when I field 300 of them and it's it can get excruciating. With that, we're going to prep up and come back for hour two. This has been hour one of episode 551-551 with Jason Lindgren and KL speaking about the difference of what it means to be in a jurisdiction based on your citizenship. In hour two, we're going to cover a heck of a lot more. With that, I would, oh, I'm sorry. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. Members get access to all the forums. Members can create forums. Members get access to all comments under every episode. And members get free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, covering all my telescopic work and everything I learned. It has 10 awards out in the world now. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two. I hope to see you over there logged in as a member so you can participate in hour two. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and I hope to see you over there. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.